third week this morning, the worthy walk. Christ calls us to walk worthy because he actually has prepared us to walk worthy. So let me take a moment and pray for us, and we'll just jump right into this. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that it's very clear. We're grateful that you give us wisdom. Lord, we look different than the world because we, we apply your wise principles. And therefore, we reflect you. We reflect the word of God. We reflect Jesus Christ. And we look godly because you are in us. And as we follow the word of God, you cause us to be wise. And we're wiser than the world. The world can't pale compared to the wisdom of God. And so as you have displayed your wisdom to us, Lord, and as you have given us these principles and as you've given us wisdom, may we understand it more exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. You'll notice your outline. I want to just take a second. If you grab an outline, you'll notice it. Just take a second. It's kind of a guide, kind of a road map. I want, I want you to just glance at it with me for a second. This is going to kind of help us this morning and and maybe in the next, uh, we're going to spend this week and next week uh, continuing this. And so this morning, specifically, we're going to talk about uh, the walk of wisdom, walking in wisdom. And I want to encourage you that this is class participation. Uh, last week, uh, a couple of us were talking. It would be so nice if we had a small, intimate classroom where we were all just together and everybody could just share. And I know kind of the distance here makes it a little bit a little bit of a, of a different atmosphere, but please feel free if you have a question, if a point is being made and you're scratching your head, uh, how, do, how do we get to that point? How did he get to that point? How did I get to that point? I don't see that point. Make sure, be sure to just mention, ask questions and uh, wanna make it as interactive as we can. If you look at this outline, you'll notice, um, um, you'll notice point number, uh, Roman numeral one, walk in wisdom, and I just want you to glance at the outline. Skilled in life, skilled in the will of the Lord, skilled in the roles of life, a life, sub, a life of submission. We're, we're skilled in the roles of life. You know, everywhere you go, you have a role to play. I mean, when I go to the gym, do you know I'm a visitor? I play the role of a visitor when I go to the gym. I had to recognize this one day because you want to stay within the boundaries of the rules that the owners have made. And so as a visitor in the gym, I have to exercise being that visitor. I have to exercise my role. And so, you know, you have a role to play. If you're a brother or sister, if you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're a mother, a daughter, a son, a parent, there are roles for us to play. And to be wise, it's really important if you, if you want to live a life that exalts Jesus Christ, you want to understand your role. So if you notice, number three on your outline, skilled in the roles of life. I think that's, we'll probably spend most of our time there this morning. So <clears throat> the roles of a wife, the roles, um, look at on your outline, the roles of a wife, the roles of a husband, the roles of children, the roles of a father, and then social roles. You'll notice the roles of a slave, the roles of a master, and then, of course, the role of a Christian soldier in this society. So it's kind of interesting if you look at Ephesians 5 and 6, the way Paul, by, led by the Holy Spirit of God, the way Paul is kind of laying this out. 
And so when we talk about the roles of life, you're going to notice there are these skilled in family life and then skilled in social life. If you notice that on your line under point three, skilled in family life, skilled in social life. And so, so let's, let's work on this together and let's just look at, let's just look at, um, uh, let's just look at Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 together. And we'll just jump right into this. Now, we've been, we've been looking, and if you look at, um, I, I'm not going to go back and look at Ephesians 4.1, which tells us to walk worthy because Christ has made us worthy. And we, we, we've talked on that in the first week. In the, and then Ephesians 4.17, it says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Um, walk as a, as a Christian. And then in verse Two of chapter five, it says, walk in love. Chapter five, verse eight, it says, walk as light. And then here we are, um, verse 15 of chapter five. There are five of these statements to walk. And that's why we're following this theme of walking worthy, because there's five statements that Paul's making, walking worthy. And so we're going to camp today on this Roman numeral number one, walk in wisdom. So verse 15, it says, look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, or some translations will say not as fools, but as wise. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as, as wise. So we want to be skilled in our life. Uh, you'll notice point number one, walk skillfully in life. In fact, if you look at the Greek word wisdom, that's what it means. It means to be wise. It means to have a basic skill about you. And so when you follow Paul's thought here, and he's talking about walking in wisdom, we ought to have a skill in life. We ought to be wise in life. We ought to have a skill. We ought to have the skill to live life. Not everybody has that skill. I mean, if you look around, you could see people that have made disastrous, disastrous mistakes or sins, or they have calculated wrongly and they would they they certainly don't look like they have a wise life so as christians we're very fortunate because as ephesians chapter one tells us we are in christ and then in ephesians chapter one at the very end it says we have all the resources available to us in christ and so we've been saturated with this doctrine and now we're being told to walk wisely because we are in Christ and have all the resources in Christ. We have the spirit of God that lives within us. In fact, this is interesting. If you look at the book of Ephesians and try to think and look through it detailed about how many times the spirit of God is mentioned. He's mentioned quite often. And so the spirit of God lives within the believer. And because we have the word of God and the spirit of God, we are capable. We are capable people to live wise lives. We should look skilled in our life. That's what the word wisdom means, to be skillful in life. So you'll notice here, um, look carefully. Look at that verse number 15. Look carefully. This word, it means to have, an, have a way about you that's observing what's going on in your inward life and in your outward life. If you're an athlete, in fact, if you played a game on Friday, come Monday, you'd be, in the, you'd be in the film room looking at the film to watch the behavior of what you just did athletically on the field. 
That's what you'd be doing. And you'd be trying to figure out the details. And so when we see this, Paul is telling the Ephesian church, look really carefully how you walk. Not as fools, but as wise. Foolish lives do not exalt Christ. Wise, wise lives do. Look carefully. So observe, be observing what's going on in the inside of your life. What's going on, what's going on in the outward of your life? By the way, you know this, but what's going on inward will come out on the outward, right? And that's why he's saying, look really carefully. This word, this word um, is an action verb. Look really carefully at what's going on. And he's assuring us, the, Paul's assuring the Ephesian Christian, look, at if you're, if you're thinking certain ways and behaving certain ways on the inside and going over it in your mind, it will come out. It will. And so he's pressing upon them to continue to work on that inward life so it comes out exalting Christ on the outward life. It's really about being circumspectly, having a, having a certain way about us um, that reviews um, circumspectly. In fact, this word, look carefully, circum, circumspectly, exactly, look accurately, look diligently. So we're to look at our lives, not other people, right? I mean, we, we tend to get like that. We're walking around and we're kind of doing our thing and it's like, oh. And we, we have a focus sometimes of what they're doing rather than what we ourselves are doing. And so you ought to be observing yourself inwardly and outwardly, not to be morbid, by the way. This, this isn't where we get stuck on, uh, you know, you're either going to be two different ways. You're going to be morbid, where you're going to just see the detail and be so crushed by it, or you're not going to look at details at all and just outwardly, and you're just going to be looking at everybody else so you, you have to be careful when you're being circumspectly and when you're observing yourself. Keep your eye on yourself to look inwardly. Keep your eye on yourself to understand it's going to come outward. And keep your eye focused on Christ. This is what Paul's directing us to when he's saying, look carefully then how you walk. We ought to walk like Christ. This is what we've been learning in Ephesians 4.1, Ephesians 4.17, 5.2, Here we are at 5.15. Walk like Christ walked. Christ was the wisest. And in fact, um, we know from the Old Testament, at that time, God is blessing Solomon with wisdom so he can understand what good and evil is. And um, isn't that an interesting point about Solomon? Well, I could easily go off on Solomon. Let me stick to, to where we're going here. So we're looking carefully. We're looking carefully. And in fact, it says, be a time manager. Somewhere in the last few days, um, sometimes, you know, you get up at four in the morning. I don't purposely get up that early, but sometimes I just wake up and my brain is just going through all the things it goes through. And uh, this past couple of days, I was thinking, wow, my kids are in their 30s, uh, young 30s. And I was thinking, I've lived twice of them, right? I've lived twice. <laughs> I mean, I'm 60 now. And I thought, my goodness, how time just goes by. Time just flies by. And I think the interesting thing is where Paul is saying in verse 15 and 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as, not as unwise, don't be fools, but as wise. See the contrast? Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. And I just thought to myself, and Tanae and I were talking about this this morning, how fast time goes by. 
I mean, Solomon is being told that God by nature, God naturally, God naturally puts within man eternity, the thoughts of eternity. If you look through the book of Ecclesiastes, I was actually going to look that up and forgot. If somebody has that reference, make sure you get it to me. If in the book of Ecclesiastes about time and about how God puts within all of us this sense of eternity. And so we're to be skilled in life. So we're to be observing ourselves, not in a morbid way, to be productive. We're to be observing ourselves inwardly to figure out how it's coming out on the outward. We're to be time sensitive. And so we're to be skilled in life. And as he moves forward here, what does that look like to be skilled in life? What does that look like? I can tell you this, it has to do with knowing the will of God. This is a great subject, and I'm just going to deal with it as Paul deals with it in Ephesians chapter 5 here. So we're going to kind of be limited on the subject of the will of God, but I'm telling you this is a subject that could blow the doors right off. The will of God is a huge subject going from Genesis to Revelation. The will of God is going to be seen in all 66 books of the Bible. The will of God. And what the will of God is, what the Lord wishes, what he has determined for us to do. What does the Lord wish for us? That is his will. What does he want us to do? What does he determined for us to do? And so we are to be skilled in the will of God. In verse 17, just notice it for a second. Therefore, do not be foolish. He's kind of repeating this again. Be, don't, be, don't, be, don't be unwise, be wise. And now in verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is going to help you being wise. If you want to live a wise life, learn what the will of the Lord is. And so, number one, he noticed, if you notice here in verse 18, number one is a spirit-filled life. Do not get drunk with wine. Now, what's interesting in the Greek phrase right there, that is the pressure point of the verb. That is the pressure point right there. That's the result. That's the purpose. Don't get drunk with wine. And I know we live in a society, you know, I know in our Christian culture, and um, it, the, point of it, uh, the point of this verse is don't get drunk. And you shouldn't be filling yourself up with drunkenness because it's going to blur your perspective. It's going to cause you to forget. Uh, and there's other points about getting drunk. But here he says it's debauchery. It's insubordination. When you get drunk, it's insubordinate within the Christian ranks. And so if you're in the military, you know, I remember when my son was at West Point. I mean, that was a big deal. And when you're in the military, you're being told don't get drunk. And yet, of course, when you're in the military, it's almost like second nature for airmen and for military um, and yet you're being told, don't do that. And I remember different times my son would tell my wife and I that, oh yeah, they have briefings every Friday night to the airmen. Do not get drunk because it causes stupidness. It causes foolishness. And so when you see here, don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery. It's insubordination as a Christian. And you're going to notice the soldier part's going to come in chapter 6. But he says this, there's a contrast. Don't get filled up with alcohol and get drunk by it. He says, but be filled with the Spirit of God. You are filled. The Spirit of God lives within you. You are the temple of the Spirit of God. 
He resides in you and lives within you. And yet, isn't that such an interesting contrast right here where we could now fill ourselves up with things and be blurred by them and be distorted by them and then act like fools and act unwise. And yet, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And so the pressure point here about don't be drunk with wine because if you are, you're not going to accomplish the being filled with the Spirit. Makes sense, right? It just makes sense. And so we need to be very careful in our spiritual lives to be wise. So do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so we're talking here about the will of God. One thing about the will of God is it's a Spirit-filled life. Another thing is it's a worship-filled life. You want to know what the will of God is? He wants you to be spirit-filled and he wants you to be what? Or he wants you to have a worshipful life. And we know this from John Piper. I think he is at the tip of the spear, John Piper, when he's talking about worship. Everything we do ought to be worshipful. Everything we ought to do ought to be filled with adoration to God. It ought to be filled with thanksgiving. It ought to be filled with rejoicing. Those are the standards of the Christian life. It ought to be filled with worshiping. We respond to God in worship. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So we ought to be worshiping. We ought to have a worship-filled life. So knowing what the will of the Lord is, it's being filled with the Spirit, having a worship-filled life, also a thankful-filled life. And I don't know about you, but look at verse 20. This seems to just, this seems to be so difficult. I mean, I was just listening to, um, I kind of heard a group of people in a conversation. I kind of meandered up and I was listening to them, I was listening to this group talk about that that just, it's difficult. I mean, it seems like the, the natural part of it is to complain. And yet we hear over and over and over about being thankful. Look at verse 20. You want to have, You want to know what the will of God is? His will for you is to be thankful. Thankful where you are today. Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what our tendency is? I golf. Golfing is great. When you golf, you have to manage your expectations. You have to. If you don't manage your expectations, and you ought to manage them to understand where you're at. I don't think I'm a very good golfer. I don't really expect to be a good golfer. I don't practice and I don't spend a lot of money on equipment. I like to go out and enjoy the sun and the scenery. And I get to socialize with people. I I love golfing that way. Managing my expectations. You know in life, when you're here today, you might be thinking, okay, I'm 50 and I should have been here in life. You know what, I'm 45 and I wanna get there but I'm, I'm not yet. You know, you could be thinking to yourself, I'm over 60 and I'm, you know, I just wish I would have accomplished this in my life. I, I wish I would have accomplished that in my life. Do you see what's going on? If you, if you don't manage your expectations, you will not be a thankful person. In fact, you ought to be very thankful to where God providentially and sovereignly has you right here. If you're here this morning, it's because God's providential hand and his love has brought you here this morning to hear his word and to be encouraged about being a wise person. And so we ought to be very thankful. I mean, to be part of the family of God, to be part of the kingdom of God, to have a hope of the resurrection, to know that our sins are taken care of. 
we ought to be very, very thankful. That is the will of God. The will of God is that we, we have a spirit-filled life, a worship-filled life, a thankful-filled life. And then you'll notice here, we have a submitted-filled life. In other words, I know I was kind of going over this word, submitted, submitting. I think it's submitting. I know it's a word, that I do know. It's a submitting-filled life. I hope you understand, a yielding life. It's a life, this is the will of God, that we learn to yield. This is why I said, you know, I had to learn this. I go into the gym, you know, and it's easy. One time I was at the gym, and we had this little basketball court going up and down, up and down, all these men, and, you know, younger men, older men, and sometimes women come in, and that's fine. Usually they have a skill in basketball, and that's great. There's not even a, there's not even a dividing line. If you can play basketball, you're more than welcome. When, when my son was down there at 10 years old, he couldn't play because he just didn't possess a certain level that the whole court was playing at. He was going to get hurt or he would slow the game down. Well, one time in this particular gym, we had a visitor, a seventh grade girl who had never played basketball before. And we have all these sweaty men and women, basketball playing type people. And here we have a seventh grade girl who's never played basketball in her life. And her dad insisted that she played. And he, he actually got his way. And so the all, all, all the rest of us submitted to what he was saying. Okay, she didn't get hurt, slowed the game down a lot. <laughs> and this whole thing just created, in fact, it carried on for about three or four months until finally she lost interest and never came down there again. But through that time, I remember complaining. I remember thinking, this is just the unrighteousness of this. Seventh grade girl. Okay, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But it was a difficult situation because you have 10 guys that are waiting for a long time to get on a court, okay? This team wins, now you have four and a seventh grade girl. Teams are always unfair. But I remember going to the manager of the gym and trying to appeal to him time and time again. And then I finally had to learn, I have to be submissive to what their rules are. That's just the way of life. So I can keep complaining or I can deal with the role that I have. Submitting is a big deal. I don't care where you're at. You need to submit. It just doesn't matter. We submit to our pastors. Pastors submit to the Lord Jesus. If you're married, we submit to each other. Men are the head. Women are the helpers. We submit doing our roles. Children learn to submit to their parents. If they don't, they could die young. Let's look at this together. We're going to start to see here submitting Having a submitted filled life, that is the will of God. Having a submitted filled life. Okay, let me ask you this. What does the word submitted mean? Or submitting? You give me a little feedback. What does the word submitting or submitted? Okay, good. Let's develop this a little bit. We're looking at what is the word submitting? What does the word submitted mean? Submitting. Doing the will of God, Judy says. What else? To, to come under. Like good. There. Yeah, no, that's good. 
Kelly says to come under. That's exactly what it means, to come under. It is to do the will of God. It is to come under. What else? What are some thoughts there? Basically the same thing, but to come under someone else's authority. Right. Yield under that. Right. To come under someone's authority. Sam? Uh, Say it again, Sam. To yield your rights. To yield your rights. Very perfect. Yes. Let's keep adding, developing. What, what else? I want to hear from Espy, but no, no pressure, Espy. What else? Being a partner. Being a partner. That's good. Thank you, Espy. I did put you on the spot. What else? What else? It involves, it entails humility. Humility is a, is a part of that. It involves humility. Submitting is going to involve humility. Good. What else? I just can't help but think of wrestling and when somebody gets somebody in a headlock, you know, and they're twisting and they submit, they give up. And so I would say it's a partially giving up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like I like that, Adam. You're wrestling, you're being submitted, you give up. Surrender, I think, would be the word that actually covers that too. Yeah, surrender. Good, good, good thoughts. What else? Anybody else? I don't want to. Yeah, but that's what we're called. That is the will of God, that we learn. We learn how to do this wisely. Now, personally, I like your illustration, but if I'm wrestling you, I'm not giving up, Adam, just so you know. Now, if so I'm wrestling the with the Lord, <laughs> I'm giving up. And I think there's something interesting going on here with what you're talking about, right? Because we want to be wise in our submitting. In fact, look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Who's the one that makes up the rules? Who's the one that has the standards and the principles whereby we live? Who is that? And that's why, Adam, you and I might wrestle sometimes. I'm not giving up, and I know you're not giving up. But if we're wrestling with the Lord, we better learn to submit. We better learn to yield and to give in to those principles and those commands and those things that he's calling us. So when he's saying to us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, he's not, he's not blurring the lines out of the roles that we play. What he's talking about here is a humility. He's talking about all those kind of different things that we talked about, yielding to one another. For an example, husbands have to yield to their wives. Husbands have to yield in doing their job. Sometimes as a husband, I don't want to do my job. Sometimes as a father, I don't want to do my job. And yet I'll yield to what the Lord says to perform and to fill that, fulfill that role. And so when we look here, submitting to one another out of reverence, there's a humility here. There's a willingness here that we're going to function the way that the Lord wants us to function. And so let's look at this a little bit together. Because here what he's talking about, the will of God. And then notice, notice on your outline, skilled in life, skilled in the will of the Lord. And I'm talking about submitting. Because now as we talk about point number three, skilled in the roles of life. Skills in the role of life. You're going to have to submit you're going you're gonna to need to learn and be wise about submitting 
submitting to the roles that the Lord has given you. Not everybody here is a woman. Not everybody here is a man. Although, isn't that interesting? You, you would think what I just said is just like, hello, no brainer. And yet we live in a culture that is blurring these lines. I can identify today as a woman if I want to. And you can't stop me. In fact, a lot of the culture would cheer me on. The lines are being blurred. So it's interesting. I want to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to just notice verse 22. Wives. And then I want you to observe, observe verse 25. Husbands. And then I want you to look at 6.1 where it says children. And then I want you to also look at verse 4 of chapter 6. Fathers. And then you'll notice this is all under the roles that we're playing in terms of being skilled in our family life. Being skilled in our family life. And then you'll notice here in chapter 6 verses 5 through 8 he's going to call us to being skilled in our social life. And he, he's, Paul's going to talk to the to the bondservant in chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 5, the, the, bond, the slave. And then, in, and then, in fact, um, if you look a little further, he's going to talk in verse 9 of chapter 6 about the master. And then in, in chapter 6, starting in verse 10, he's going to talk about the Christian soldier. And so we have, we have a role to play. You know what's interesting when you look at that? Look at your outline there and notice the roles. And you know, what's interesting here, notice how he's talking about wives, and then he says wives, and then husbands, and then he says children, and then fathers, and then he says slave, and then masters. Now this is no accident the way he's laying out these roles. Do you notice the, the roles here? Then he says Christian soldiers. But there's a principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that talks about this. We are all part of the body of Christ. We're all part of the body of Christ. Some are ears, some are noses, smell, some are mouths. We're all part of the body of Christ. Some are hands, some are feet. We're all part of the body of Christ. It's natural for us to sometimes think, oh, that mouth and the eyes are just way the most important. And yet in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you read it, it says the seemingly less important parts of the body are the most important parts of the body. Are you catching that? And so it's interesting when Paul is giving us these roles to play in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, I want you to notice that. He's laying it out, wives, because that would seemingly be the least important role in a marriage. Because we understand what's coming down the line here in Paul's teaching. He's going to say, men, you're the head. And women... He's going to say, women, you're the helper. And so you see this. He's going to make sure everybody understands there's a, there is an equality. Everybody's equal in standing before God's grace and God's salvation. But he's going to now talk about one is the head. In our society and in our culture, outside the church, that, those are fighting words right there. Inside the church, we're clear because we're wise people given instructions from the Lord. We know. And that's why we're not going to let the outside blur the church of God. We're not going to do that. And so we see here what seems to be the least important, but he's making this point. Wives, you have this role of submitting. Men, 
you have this role of leading. But I'm just pointing out 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we're all part of the body of Christ and the seemingly, what would seemingly be least important is actually the most important. He's going to talk about children and then he's going to talk about fathers. And then he's going to talk about slave. Then he's going to talk to the master. I just thought that was an interesting, uh, as I was trying to observe this and try to think through this, well, what is Paul doing here? And why is it that Paul would lay it out like that? It's just consistent with what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about. So as we look here at the roles, you know, I want to, um, just for kind of j- launching into this, and we're, we'll pick this up next week if, if we don't, um, if we don't uh, get all the way through um, the roles here that we want to go through. We'll just go as far as we can this week and next week. But um, the roles, if you notice here, skilled in the roles of life. Um, so the roles of a wife, and then, of course, the roles of a husband. So let me ask you, when you look at, when you look at the roles of a wife and you look at the roles of a husband, and Paul's making this really clear under the context of being wise. Don't, don't operate as fools. Operate, as, operate as, um, as wise people. So know your position. Know your position. So let me ask you this question. What are some, what are some of the difficulties as we approach this issue of wives and husbands? Let's just talk honestly together. What are some of the difficulties, whether it's in the church or outside the church, what are some of the difficulties facing this issue for the church of wives and husbands? Amy's got a comment. <laughs> I'm going first. I, I think it actually, a lot of it would come down to expectations. Uh, what uh, a leader looks like or what submission looks like or what we expect our spouse to do as a result of whatever it is. You know, if we're as, uh, you know, in, in need of something, you know, with, with that, what we expect them to do and expectations are going to get us into a lot of trouble. Right. So I think right. inside the church, inside the, outside the church, it's Good. expectations. Is expectations. Good point, Amy. What else? What are some of the, what are some of the, what are some of the things that we're dealing with inside the church or outside the church when it comes to this issue? Joe Garza has a comment. I think um, from both sides, it would be pride. The, the unwillingness to submit to one another's um, will. Yeah. Good point, Joe. Yeah, there are some, you know, as much as we get the Lord's instruction, so we get it. Wives, you play a certain role. Men, you play a certain role. Both are difficult roles to play. Why? Why are those roles difficult? I mean, if you notice the natural things within us, and I want to I just draw your attention. We have to look at this. Go to, go to Genesis chapter 2. Go to Genesis chapter 2. And as you're just kind of turning there, Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to look at verse 15, but I... But just go there, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. But let me ask you this. Did the command, don't eat of the tree, did that command come before Eve was created? So just to Adam, or did it come after? How many people think it came before 
Eve was created. God says, here's the garden, stay there. You, you exercise dominion in the garden. First civilization right there in the garden. What, what, what was it? Did God command Adam after Eve was created or before? Don't eat of that tree, Adam. How many people say, give me your hands, how many people think it was before? It was before, okay? All right, I see a big, hand, big raise of hands. Not, <laughs> I know, I know. It's very difficult. To, I, I totally agree with you when I'm asking you to raise your hands, but just for fun. Okay, how many people think it was after? How many people think after? Okay, a few people, good, good. I, right, I was just rereading this and discovered or reminded, how, right, in fact, I was asking Tanae about it this morning. We were both, it came before, before Eve was even created. God is saying to the man, exercise dominion in the garden. You name all the beasts, all the, and then God pauses and says to the man, because they're anthropomorphically having a conversation, God says to the man, God's having this relational conversation with the man. God, God looks like man's friend. He looks like, and he's saying to man, it's not good for you to be alone. So he creates his partner, but he's already commanded him, don't eat of the tree. But of course, look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden and worked it and kept it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat, you shall surely die. Right, kind of sounds like, is his name Gandorf? He throws the, you shall, anyway, sorry. I have a strange mind. <laughs> but you can hear God saying to, to Adam, you shall surely die if you eat of that. And then, of course, in verse 16 or verse 18, the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. And, of course, then as the Lord is moving through this, he causes, in verse 21, a deep sleep to fall upon man while he slept and took one of the ribs and closed it and placed it back up. And, you, you know, we, we've, we've heard this text before, and then man wakes up and this is bone of my bone, he says in verse 23. Flesh of my flesh. And so there's this beautiful, there is this beautiful union that is created between man and, and woman. And so what we're talking about here is understanding our role. And in fact, if you, if you read Genesis chapter 2, you're going to see it from the very beginning. God created man to exercise dominion in the garden. He caused him to be the leader. He caused him, he caused, he created man to exercise authority. That's what he created man to do. Before the fall, Adam didn't have a problem going to work and to stepping up and to do what he needed to do. Adam didn't have a problem doing that. And then if you notice um, verse 24, man shall leave his father and mother. There's this wonderful union. And so we know this. God has given us wisdom to understand this role of a wife and of a husband. And we look at that. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to the wife and they shall become one flesh. We know this union. We know this union that exists. And then man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. I mean, what a beautiful picture before the fall. Okay, so now if you turn the page to chapter 3, you're going to see the fall. And then after they, after they ate of it, 
and I want to draw your attention. So, so in your mind, work with me here. They're not supposed to eat of that tree. Adam knows that. Adam is the leader. He knows God has commanded him. God's given him that one command at this point. Don't do it. Don't do it, Adam. So we know the story in Genesis chapter 3. Who does Satan come to? Comes to the woman. Why does Satan come to her? I'm not really going to answer that question right now. But it's a thought-provoking question. Why does Satan come to the woman? Man is the leader. Man is supposed to exercise dominion. He's supposed to exercise authority. Man is supposed to do that. He's supposed to yield to God in that responsibility. And yet Satan comes to woman and tempts her. And so this is what the word of God reveals to us. So what happens? We understand what happens. She came and she gave to her husband and said, this is going to be great. And what does he do? What does he do? Okay, you might, you might go, you know what? Man, that was stupid of her to do that. It was stupid of him to do that. Can you see it? He could have very well told her, Eve, put it down. We're going to die if we touch it. He could have told her that. He could have very well said no. Before you were here, Eve, God gave me one command, and he said, don't do it. I know what God was telling me. I, I was clear. Wouldn't that be interesting if he, God was looking into the eyes of Adam? I don't know what that anthropomorphic relationship there would have been, but somehow we see God telling Adam, don't do it. Do not do it. And so when Eve comes to him, hey, look at this. Of course, they take it. And the burden falls on him. And yet she was an instrument, but the burden falls on him. You see it all through scripture. The burden is falling on Adam. And yet there's a warning. Remember, the woman took it, but the burden falls on the man. Let's look at what happens. And I'm going to kind of let us, we'll, we'll kind of end with this point. But when I'm talking to young men, or just talking to men in general, and we're talking about our marriages, and we're talking about this relationship of wives and husbands, because if you want to be wise in, in life, you're going to need to figure this role out, these roles out. And you know, you might be here and you might not even be married, but I'm telling you, in God's body, in his church, you can be a supportive player here. You can be. I don't care what, where, you can be a supportive player in understanding these roles of men and women. And so we want to understand these roles because they will cause us to be wise as God's children. And look at, as we're looking at Genesis chapter 3, let me just draw your attention because after they eat, right, God is coming to them. And then, of course, in verse 16, look at what he says to the woman. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And in, and in, and in pain you shall bring forth a child. Now, ladies, of course, I'm, I'm, I've never had a child. And I'll be the first to say men are never going to have men are never going to have babies. I know that, believe it or not, that's unpopular outside the church walls. Like my, my head is going to just explode on that one. But women, you know, you know the reality, you know the reality of that pain. You know it, and as much as you know the reality of that pain, look at this very next one. Because as much as you feel that tension, you're going to feel this next one. And you shall desire 
to be contrary, or some of your translations say, or you desire to lead, or you desire, what does your translation say at that point? Your desire shall be for. My translation is an interesting one, ESV. It says, you're, you shall be contrary. But your desire shall be for the position of your husband. But look at the very contrast. But he shall rule over you. There's this tension in a marriage because, and it goes both sides, because women have this tension to be contrary to the man. Or some translations will say, to rule over the man, but he shall rule over you. The women want that position, and yet he shall rule over you. I mean, you see it very clearly here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. This is the beginning of the tension that exists in a marriage and in this relationship of, a, of, of wives and husbands. On the other hand, look at what God says to the, to the man. The thorns and thistles, um, he says um, to Adam, he says, verse 17, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And he goes on to talk about him, how the, the entire cosmos, the entire world is going to be affected because of that decision that they made, that Adam made, and followed Eve in that. And look at verse 19. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Here's the point of this. By the sweat of your brow. Men... It's going to be hard to lead. It's going to be hard to go to work every day. It's going to be hard to be a husband. It's going to be hard. I want you to see this tension because right here in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, it shows us if we want to be healthy and wise in our understanding of wives and husbands, I'm telling you this is a context and a, and a very difficult opposition to or a very difficult situation to understand in this. That women, you are going to want to be that desire, you're going to want that desire to exercise dominion, and yet the man has been created to do that. And men, you're not going to want to do that. You're not going to want to go to work every day. And so what happens, it looks like this. Women are going to rise up and do, and men are going to go backwards and don't. Isn't that an interesting concept? Talk to anybody that's married. And I say it because God's word has solidified it. If you're a Christian and you're a Christian and you're married, you know this to be true. It can't be denied. It's right here in God's word. That's what exists. That's what the experience is. And so when we're trying to live out, when we're trying to understand how to be wise as wives and wise as husbands, this is actually a tremendously important context for us to get this right so we understand what we're working against and what we're working within so well good class we'll pick it up next week where we left off thank you for your time let me pray for us thank you lord thank you lord for this teaching in your word help us now to implement it into our lives that we might reflect christ in jesus name amen amen